0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. I want to begin today by confessing I missed my anniversary. Not that one. I'm not that dumb. I mean an important anniversary for this podcast. Our previous conversation was number 100. That's a pretty cool milestone, and I'm proud of it. I also want to thank you, the folks who listen, tweet, comment, and subscribe via iTunes. Subscribing really helps. I try to create engaging and thoughtful conversations on politics with people who have ideas. I do these conversations for two simple and slightly selfish reasons, to learn and have fun. At any time, but particularly in these recent years, I see an urgent need for thoughtful conversations, a need to fill the gap that's missing from so much of our politics. You might not agree with everyone I talk with. In fact, I know from your comments that you don't. But I hope you find these conversations interesting and useful. I hope they spark something, curiosity, hope, anger, understanding, that offers some much-needed context or even action. I enjoy these conversations a lot. I hope you do, too. My thanks, too, to my good friend and occasional guest, Tegan Goddard. We've been at this and other projects together for a long time. Here's to many more. Okay, enough of that. Let's move to conversation number 101, because it's a good one. It feels like every day we reach a new point of, well, this has never happened before in American politics, and I'm not just talking about the tweets. Okay, the tweets are something. Incredible, really. We can and will have a conversation on when to ignore and when to react to them. But let's get past the tweet storms for a moment. I'm talking about actual questions about democracy and the Constitution and even America itself. Questions that take more than 140 characters to answer, like this one. Is the president above the law? Okay, I guess that doesn't take 140 characters to answer. It should only take two characters, three if you count the period. Truly, this question had never previously occurred to me. Most of us thought it was asked and answered initially in the Constitution and subsequently through some 240 years of democracy. But in a time when things have never happened before, even that simple belief has come into question, most recently during that unbelievable first post-election press conference when Donald Trump said, and I quote, I have a no-conflict situation because I'm president. Could that possibly be true in America? Could the president truly be above the law? Say what you will about the Trump election, and regardless of where you sit, there's plenty to say. If nothing else, he's generated a national discussion on government ethics unlike anything we've seen in decades. Somehow, it seems, we've all been transported back to high school civics class. And if it's a class on government we've been talking about, there's no doubt that one of the lead professors, indeed one of our country's leading experts, is Ambassador Norm Eisen. Ambassador Eisen is a bit like the emoluments clause. Many of us were unaware of him a few months ago, and now we wonder why we haven't been following him for years. Indeed, if you turn on the television or read any of our leading newspapers or, yes, go on Twitter lately, you can't miss Ambassador Eisen or his sometime partner, Richard Painter. Eisen and Painter have become the bipartisan truth squad of government ethics, a human Google search providing not only facts, but also analysis, interpretation, and precedent. Now, as I discussed with Ambassador Eisen, even within the laws and clauses we have, there's plenty of gray area. He gets into that. But if you want to understand what issues President Trump could find himself addressing, and what that might mean for our politics, policy, and even democracy, you're really going to like this conversation. Some background. Eisen is a fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution. He also served as U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic. Previously, Eisen worked in the office of the White House Counsel under President Obama. He was special assistant to the president and special counsel to the president for ethics and government reform. Importantly, and particularly timely for where we are today, Eisen worked on the Obama-Biden transition project in the office of the president-elect. In this role, according to his bio, he provided ethics training for the president-elect, vice president-elect, their spouses, and other senior officials, as well as all members of transition teams. He also trained and vetted cabinet members and other nominees and appointees and assisted with administration's policy development process regarding ethics, transparency, and reform issues, translating campaign promises into action. Sounds pretty relevant, doesn't it? Ambassador Eisen is also co-founder and chair of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. But perhaps his most important title, he's an optimist. This really comes across in what he says and how he says it. We talked about that, too. Ambassador Eisen brings energy and humor and personality to an area that cynics may previously have called an oxymoron and even non-cynics may have thought was not particularly urgent, government ethics. That's all changed, of course. Here's my conversation with Ambassador Eisen. Ambassador Eisen, I don't know who tracks the actual facts on this kind of thing, but it seems to me that you currently have the fastest-growing number of Twitter followers of anyone who's not a boy <laughs> band. I mean, I saw you first on TV a couple of months ago, and I, I you know, I checked you online. I was like, oh, very interesting. Who's Who's this gentleman? And I think you were at like a, a few hundred – uh, followers today, you're at twelve and a half thousand. So, have I have I uncovered it? Was this your your real goal? You were just, you know, looking to build the Twitter following. I imagine.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I, I nobody ever minds having a growing Twitter following. Since you ask, um, I when I left uh, Prague and uh, thought I was leaving the eye of the world wind, uh, hung up my. Uh, Twitter uh, thumbs and uh, went off of Twitter and went off of social media. When I was ambassador in Prague, of course, I participated in Twitter and Facebook and everything else. Yeah. And then a couple months ago, uh, with uh, foresight, uh, Brookings, and I'm writing a book, the publisher of my book prevailed upon me. Uh, Gee, Norm, it would be great if you got back on Twitter. Uh, to ramp up uh, your activity for brookings and for this book, so uh I did that only, and I'm glad I did because um it's enabled me to uh enabled me to talk to a lot of folks about the trump conflicts issues. it was well timed uh, my uh 2016 Twitter re-entry, uh, but I'm 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 not in boy band territory, and I'm extremely unlikely ever to get there.
0: I, I understand, but but you you are back, that's for sure. And and I guess is I just heard you the phrasing you just used, and given that this is an ethics conversation, um, if if this is you know in part because of what's going on with uh, Trump, and of course it is, um, you may want to be careful because he, he I mean any chance he asks you for royalties of some kind, I can't imagine that would be an ethical uh, issue, right? If, well,
1: uh, um, I, you know, I do uh, associate uh, Trump uh, with royalty in the following sense, <laughs> uh, like the king, he seems to believe he's above the law, it, uh, but uh, for example, in his declaration that conflicts don't apply to him, that's not true. Uh, however, I'm not expecting uh, any uh, royalties uh, uh, from him uh, anytime soon.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I would doubt it. So, so let's get right into that. And, and, and actually, the exact point that you just made. And, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to be simplistic, but this question of what is ethical versus what is legal. Um, wh- yes. H- help me understand that because we, we're hearing so much about. Well, it's it's not ethical, and there is there, there's the the government ethics office, and we'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about Schaub and and you know your letter today, and and everything that's going on with that. But are, are these ethical? What's the difference between what is ethical, we, many of us may commonly consider, you know, the right thing to do, it's ethical, well, you know, your behavior, Chris, is not ethical, versus legal. And, and how should we be thinking about that vis-a-vis uh, Trump?
1: It's a great uh, question. And um, what we mean by ethical in the uh, government ethics context is um, that there's a body of laws that govern what you can and cannot do with respect to your conflicts of interest and other personal financial interests um, in in government when you're a government servant. That's what we mean by government ethics. Of course, there's also the question of government morals, what's right and wrong to do. Um, We hope that the government ethics rules track the uh, rules of political morality. They're intended, they're founded on what we've tried to do is codify abstract principles of right and wrong about um, uh, uh, into a set of complex rules for government officials, starting with the Constitution and then the statutes and regulations uh, as well. So that's what we mean by government ethics.
0: And, and look, I I don't, I further don't mean to be simplistic, but if there, if we are talking about, um, rules and we are talking about laws, um, why is there, why is there gray area or why is there so much gray area or is there not actually so much gray area, which is your point and, and your colleague and, and friend Richard Painter's point that there actually is not much gray area that that you know president elect Trump may be indicating that there is and um his his attorney may be, you know sherry Dillon, may be indicating that there is but there really is not that much gray area and there are rules and there are laws and they're they're well established um what's your what's how should we be thinking about uh the 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 reality of of grayness in in any of this
1: well um uh the the, the, in any rule of law system, any body of laws, not just the government ethics laws that govern conflicts of interest and related subjects, there always are going to be gray areas. There's no doubt about it. Uh, rule of law systems are imperfect in part because of what we were talking about before, which is you know, you're know, you trying to build a set of um, – Uh, a a set of uh, behavioral codes on top of abstract principles of right and wrong. And and that's tricky to do. In the case of Donald Trump, uh, he wants to make it into a gray area, or really he wants to make it into a black and white area that conflicts law doesn't apply to him. And he's correct that there's a lot of black and white, but the black and white of it cuts against him. The conflict law does apply. There can be no dispute that the rules in the Constitution, for example, uh, which prohibit presidents from taking foreign uh, government uh, cash and other benefits, uh, so-called emoluments, uh, apply to the president. And you know, one of the positives in his attorney Sherry Dillon's presentation was that— uh, she seemed to admit the application of the Emoluments Clause to the President of the United States. Now, she sidestepped it in other ways, but um, uh, I think it's pretty clear that it's not gray to say conflicts rules apply to the President.
0: And you did serve, as you mentioned, you you served as, uh, ambassador, uh, to the Czech Republic and, and you, while you have, uh, served in, in the office of the council and, and, you know, in, in those types of roles, you're, you're not immune or you're certainly not unaware of, um, the politics of things. And so when Trump comes in and says, look, this stuff doesn't apply to me, you know, as president, I'm immune from, from conflicts, Um, How how do the politics of that play out? I mean, he's coming at you. You've seen the latest numbers and and he you know, his approval rating uh, is, you know, at, at record lows. And yet Americans are pretty split on questions of. Should he sell his businesses? So does this become a legal question? I, mean, I guess I'm kind of wondering where, where does this where, – where do you see this road going? What's the logical extension of this? Is this a legal, extracted legal set of questions? Is this a political question? How, how do you view it?
1: Well, um, I, I would say that uh, uh, the American people are um, – Concerned about these issues, uh, you know, seventy-five percent of Americans um, in a recent poll said they wanted to see Trump's taxes. That number is going up, not going down. That includes a lot of his own voters. Um, the Americans uh, seem to be evenly split. With you know, it's in the the in this morning's um, ABC News poll, uh, slightly larger number. Uh, very slightly. Uh, want thought he had conflicts. About 44% thought he didn't. So uh, there are less than half of Americans who think he he doesn't have a conflict. Uh, and he's also, his popularity is tracking down there in the low 40s. So we're seeing, uh, to me, evidence that um, he, there are a lot of Americans who uh, are, I don't think it's a coincidence that those two numbers more or less line up, uh, a lot of Americans who are uh, concerned about the lack of disclosure in the conflicts issues, and we haven't really started yet. Uh, he won't be in violation of the Constitution until he takes his oath on this emoluments problem. Uh, we haven't yet seen the first major scandal. I have no doubt that we will see uh, the controversies, um, scandals, and corruption resulting from this unprecedented, he's broke with four decades of precedent, of using a blind trust to sell his holdings. So uh, I think uh, choppy waters ahead, and you're going to see those uh, low approval ratings drop even further.
0: And where do the pressures ultimately come from? Are these... External lawsuits? I mean, is this something – are these lawsuits that individuals bring? Is this action – that congress would have to bring and obviously congress being republican but you know they're not they're not united it, it, where does the where does the i mean the public polling it, it matters i mean we, we've all heard uh uh trump talk about uh point to polls um you know for the last year and a half two years um so i guess that has but but that's not legal or or punitive in in any way um where does the pressure come from will it come from individuals and and lawsuits will it come from congress what do you see
1: well, I think in the first instance, there are. I don't believe that litigants will simply uh, stand by while Mr. Trump blatantly violates the Constitution. He's failed to break his connections fully to his businesses. He's maintaining an ownership interest. And so when these flows of foreign money, for example, hit his big hotel, uh, and near the White House, uh, where he's aggressively selling to uh, foreign uh, government clients, um, he's going to be in violation of the Constitution. And I don't uh, believe that American people or the courts will stand by for that idly, so there'll be litigation. And then, uh, you know, and I, I doubt it'll be just one case. So we are going to see litigation about the emoluments. That will be number one. And um, uh, and then in terms of the uh, Congress, remember, the Senate hangs by a pretty thin thread. Yep. So if just a handful of senators cross over uh, and join the Democrats, uh, let's say you got four or even three Republican senators to cross over, um, uh, you could have investigations in the Senate. Um, again, that probably will require an actual scandal, but I'm Sure, you're going to see them given this mingling, unprecedented mingling of public and private interests. And then don't neglect uh, the executive branch. The FBI has proven it can be pretty independent. Uh, If there's evidence, for example, of quid pro quos, there's no doubt that the bribery law, also conflicts law like the Monuments Clause, bribery law fully applies to the president. So um, if you see uh, quid pro quos, the FBI will get involved, career public corruption prosecutors. And then finally, you have the state AGs who also may have uh, causes of action. And the ultimate court is that of public opinion. When uh, Mr. Trump's uh, popularity rating uh, drops further, uh, I think uh, you're going to uh, you're going to see an effort to address causes like his conflict. So that's how I see the remedies.
0: I, I don't know if you saw uh, these quotes, but but referring to uh, a president whose popularity dropped, you know, another president whose popularity dropped a great deal, obviously, was Richard Nixon. And you may have seen uh, John Dean, the, Nixon's former uh, uh, White House counsel during Watergate, seen his quotes in uh, The Atlantic, um, a, a piece that just came out, and uh, he said one of them i don 't think that Richard Nixon even comes close to the level of corruption we already know about trump indeed um, he 's going to test our democracies it 's never been tested, and he, he went on to, to really point that that Trump has more going on than anything we ever learned about Nixon even after Watergate. Uh, I mean, I heard you already say, in, indeed, my, my question was you know do, do you agree in our comparisons to i mean is it, is it is it fair to Nixon Nixon to compare him to Trump. I mean, is is this is this exponentially beyond anything we've ever seen? Is that you know putting it into historical context?
1: Well, I I I think it's a little early to uh, compare Trump to Nixon. What you had with Nixon was a uh violations uh, of the constitution uh and and other criminal conduct that were uh widespread uh in the white house that crept into other uh federal agencies and so i, I what we have now with trump is very troubling and i i we nobody knows how it's going to develop and i'm alarmed that it's going to develop into uh a um, a situation uh, of uh, criminality, but what you have right now is Trump will be in violation of the Constitution on day one because of the emoluments. Whether he's going to take the further step and engage in criminal activity, entirely speculative. It's probably worth looking at his career. He he's been in a lot of trouble, including financial trouble many people who face these kinds of threats cross the line and do verge over into and are prosecuted for criminal conduct donald trump has has not been prosecuted he's been very careful to stay on the civil it looks to me looking at his career he's very careful to stay on the civil liability side of the line so um uh, he's playing for keeps now come friday uh I don't uh, know, uh, you know, but I'm not willing yet to uh, compare him to Nixon.
0: Yeah, and and that's understood. I mean, that that was a you know a, the cover up of a crime, and that's you know there's there's no doubt, uh, um, you know that that's a, a different thing. Tell, tell me, I want to ask you. We, we mentioned earlier um, Walter Schab. Uh, He's the director of the Office of Government Ethics, and uh, Congress and uh, the incoming White House Chief of Staff, Reince Priebus, um, don't have uh, very much positive to say about him and that group. Um, You called it something out of a gangster B-movie. What's going on and why should we be paying attention to it?
1: Well – uh, the Schaub episode taken by itself would, would be troubling. But in the context of uh, the congressional leaderships and the Trump transitions, um, war on ethics, uh, it's uh, truly alarming. The, it started with the House GOP moving to gut their own overseer, the Office of Congressional Ethics. Then we had the Senate attempt, which, like that House gutting effort, was pushed back. The Senate attempt to hold hearings without ethics paperwork, uh, financial disclosures and agreements on how to resolve conflicts for some of their, for their nominees, that's unprecedented. Uh, There was pushback on that, the hearings were kicked over. Then we had, really it's the source of all this, it's the tone at the top problem, Trump announced his own flawed conflicts plan. Uh, And then the next step after that was this attack on the uh, Office of Government Ethics threats by the incoming White House Chief of Staff. As Painter and I wrote in the Washington Post, if the White House Chief of Staff had threatened the director of the Office of Government Ethics, just for doing his job. He spoke out and said the Trump plan uh, did not resolve conflicts. If such threats had been uttered, we would have resigned, but we wouldn't have had to because the president would have demanded the chief of staff apologize. That's what we should have here.
0: What do you think of the role that you're playing? I mean, you, you are signing protest letters. There was a letter that, uh, you, you know, you just mentioned the piece that you and, uh, Richard Painter wrote in the Washington Post. And then there's a letter that came out, uh, today. You and 18 others, uh, signed at the, you know, calling on, on, uh, Reince Reince Priebus to, uh, you know, fix things regarding Schaub and, and other, and really talk to, to Trump and, and, and fix this, this ethics business um you, you know you are uh you know you've been you're calling out the incoming president almost daily you're calling out congress you're you know fighting in the name of ethics is is this a role that you ever saw yourself playing i mean you've held you know a wide range of roles in government and you've served government uh you know for for much of your professional career um did you see yourself ever playing a role like this Uh,
1: I did not imagine that we would have an ethics crisis or a war on ethics, that we'd have a president who would uh, disregard four decades of precedent on how to resolve conflicts by members of both parties, uh, presidents of both parties, uh, and uh, that uh, uh, the situation would... uh, Uh, decompensate as it has. So no, I never imagined uh, being in this situation. It's an honor uh, to fight for this country that I love, that my parents immigrated to, that has been so good to me and to the world, done so much for the world. And I'm extremely gratified. I think part of the reason that folks uh, have turned a Receptive ear to this work is because it's been done in a strictly bipartisan way with my Bush counterpart, Professor Painter, um, who um, uh, uh, you know helps uh, uh, helps uh, uh, articulate a perspective that uh, is shared by uh, ethics specialists of both parties. So it's not uh, partisan work, and um, and I'm very honored to do it. But I have to admit. I'm I'm surprised and some days stunned uh, that is the issue is so front and center in the media.
0: Yeah, you, you and Painter have kind of become the Simon and Garfunkel of government ethics, <laughs> but before the breakup, of course. But but you know, there's never really been a duo like this. Um, I
1: I think it's more like uh, Jerry Lewis and John Wayne.
0: Okay, <laughs> a little a little bit of humor and a little bit of gunslinging? Okay, well that's a that's a, a good mix. Um, Painter,
1: Painter uh, makes me always makes me think of uh, uh, you know he's he's a, a, a really a, a classic uh, American hero uh, and uh, uh, you know it's an honor it's an honor to serve with him. We have different personalities, we have different styles. Painter has a very dry sense of humor. Uh, he's really a very uh, very funny person uh, and just a great. Um, just a great analyst. He's become a close friend. And um, and I learn a lot from him. I mean, he doesn't always see the issues the way I do. I think he tempers. Sometimes I get mad uh, at the assault on ethics. And, uh, you know, that can lead you to name-calling. And I have a bit of a tendency to uh, purple prose anyhow. And, and Painter tempers that down. And I think the end results in the writing... Uh, and the thinking are better for it, so I love working with them.
0: Have you, when when did you first meet him then? I mean, I know that you both, uh, are part of the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, and I assume that there must have been some crossover when you came in, uh, with the Obama administration, and I guess he was with Bush, but is this, has this been a deepening of the relationship lately, or have you kind of been, have you known each other more, you know, more significantly in the last several years?
1: I I have read Painter for years, so you do feel like you – I even read some of his memos that he wrote uh, when he was in the Bush White House. I relied on when I was in the Obama White House, and I remember thinking, huh, this is really well done. Uh, But you you hadn't met him. We hadn't met, as far as I recall. We got to know each other when I came back from my ambassador job in Prague two and a half years ago, and uh, started um, speaking at conferences. And Painter would often be on the bill. Look, it's not a big presidential law. White House law is not a big field. It's a very small number of people uh, who do it, particularly with the emphasis on ethics. So Painter and I would often be invited uh, to serve on the same panels. And you know, we discovered that we thought the same way we hit it off our Political party differences didn't seem to make any uh, be of any moment uh, for the views we took. And we became friends. And then, of course, uh, when the ethics issues were front and center uh, in the election cycle in 2016, uh, we worked together uh, and uh, started writing together. And uh, the rest is history. We've both gone on the board of crew now.
0: And, and, and just to close out, um, you, you clearly come across as a very optimistic person by nature. I may be misinterpreting yes, I you am. totally. I, I don't think that I, have it. I am. Yeah, that, that that's certainly how you come across. Um Are you optimistic? I mean, you, you really are leading and with Painter and with others leading a, almost a national civics discussion. It's almost like we've all gone back and, and we're taking U.S. history classes again. Um Does this end well? Does this go well? Are you, you know, does your optimism, how does your optimism carry into... uh where you see us heading
1: well um the president has a wonderful saying uh it was well known before and now it's really well known i it's embroidered on the rug sewn into the rug in the oval office uh uh the let's see i think it's the moral uh arc of history is long but it bends towards justice uh i i may be paraphrasing slightly um i my optimism comes from my faith in that long-term trajectory uh, i it's not a, a a groundless faith it's one uh, that arises from uh, my belief in uh, our constitution and the values it embodies in the separation of powers, the rule of law and the other structures, the Bill of Rights that emanate from the Constitution, uh, and the fundamental decency of the American people, including the American people who voted for Trump. I understand the frustration as an anti-corruption campaigner. And after all, he ran on a slogan of drain the swamp. I understand the frustration that led them to vote as they did. Uh, So uh, for for, for all those reasons and many more, if we had a longer show, uh, I could do a show answering that question alone. Uh, I have a an optimism that is grounded uh, in uh, evidence. That said, what I can't predict is um, the um, uh, how light or severe uh, the president elects predations, uh, ethics and otherwise – will be on our system, the damage that he will do, and uh, how long it will take to undo that damage, who may come after him. Um, th- those kinds of questions are unknowns. I think we'll have a better sense of whether we're going uh, to put our optimism on high boil or a slow cooker uh, after we've seen him in office for um, – You know, for six months or so, Um, having lived through the first hundred days of the Obama administration, it's everything's happening too quickly to really understand. But things get said about six months in, we'll know where we are. Uh, Looking at Mr. Trump's career, his history, there's some reason not to think that it will be the worst uh, of worlds. Uh, I'll close with the uh, slogan that I have pinned to the top of my Twitter feed, which is at Norm Eisen. For anybody who's interested in uh, joining the uh, joining the parade of followers that you were kind enough to start with, um, uh, and this this is a shorter uh, Obama Clinton and Sanders on Trump. Work together with him when we can, fight when we must, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and have faith. And that is the motto that I'm going to be using going forward
0: well i I appreciate your faith I, I appreciate your optimism and uh, you know y- your service and and the service that you and and painter and and others are doing right now in terms of uh, really helping drive I, I mean it there's a there 's a conversation on civics that 's going on uh, thanks to you and others um, that really hasn 't gone on in a number of years and and uh, you know real questions are being raised obviously. Um, but you know, maybe in the end and, and I, you know, I'm an optimistic person as well. Um, I, I think that the conversation, uh, is it, you know, it's a good thing that we're having it. I, I hope, um, thank you for your time on this. I look forward to talking to you again.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: Well, that was my conversation with Ambassador Norm Eisen. You see what I mean about the optimist part? And I meant it about this national conversation. I'm an optimist, too, and I can't help but feel that creating a national dialogue on all of these issues is part of what will ultimately get us past our hyperpartisan partisan era. I really appreciated Ambassador Eisen's insights. So my great thanks to him for joining and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.